The Business on RT Radio 1 with AIB. We know that your focus is on your business. That's why ours is on supporting you. But first, they really made an entrance to Sundance Film Festival. The controversial Belfast hip-hop trio Kneecap arrived in a fully kitted out PSNI Land Rover. Their biopic, Kneecap, is the first Irish language film to premiere at the prestigious festival in Utah. And it's been receiving very positive reviews. The film, which also stars Michael Fassbender, tells the story of the band's origins in Belfast. Daniel Lambert is the manager of Kneecap, but he has other strings to his Bow too. He's also Chief Operating Officer of Bohemian's Football Club and co-founder of Bang Bang Cafe in Dublin. We caught up with Daniel a little earlier this week and I started by asking him about his own story, his family's background and their links to Dublin City Centre. Yeah, well, my, my, basically my mum and dad's families would have been from, from the city centre. They both, uh, my dad grew up in Finglas and my mum in Crumlin. I think originally my dad was in Cabra for a year or so. So their families before them, their parents would have lived in the city centre. So they were all dubs on both sides. And it's interesting because you had a kind of a, an interest in business from an early age. Were, were your parents fairly entrepreneurial? They both would have been, to be fair to them. Like they, neither of them, um, they wouldn't mind me saying, neither of them did their leaving certs. They were, they were taken out of school uh, young to work, basically. But they'd be, they always worked for themselves. So when I was a kid, in, when I got home from school, they'd, they'd both be there. Um, my mum was an interior designer. My dad had his own clothing business. So they'd be in the house uh, and they'd work from home and be around. And they'd have, uh, my partner says <laughs> that my family's like an ideas off. Um, so basically we spend a lot of time discussing what might or might not work as a, potential uh, idea for, for a business. Um, so they were probably, uh, yeah, they would have been very kind of entrepreneurial themselves and, and that probably rubbed off a little bit, me and my sister. And your mom would have sold flowers and then she went into interior design. I think her first job, as far as I know, was she sold flowers in town on Mead Street, uh, probably as, as like a 15, 16 year old. And um, yeah, and then she worked in some places for a while, like paint shops and she worked in a, a place, um, it was on... Georgia Street, I think, like an interiors place. And then basically but my memory kind of growing up is she'd be kind of traveling to people's houses or hotels or I remember she used to do some nice houses in Houghton and things where she'd be advising someone on curtains and colors and, you know, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, our house was constantly being redecorated. Once it was finished, she'd, she'd start again. One of the big early influences on you was football and your sort of proximity to Daly Mount Park and Bohemians in Fibsborough. Yeah, and even before before that, my, my, my dad set up and ran a football club in Finglas called Dunsink and I would have been brought from as early as I can remember, I think I was literally a baby, to the, they played a game every Sunday, uh, just in parks around Dublin. Um, there wouldn't have been dressing rooms or anything, it might have been the odd shipping container, but uh, they'd play every Sunday and I'd be brought along and you know, on cold days they'd put all the gear bags down and I'd be put in the middle of the gear bags with a, with a raincoat over the top and uh, later on they'd go to the pub then straight afterwards and... I think from the age of about five or six, I was selling things called spot the balls in the pub for the team where you go around and everyone puts their name on a, a little card for a pound. And um, and then we'd go to Daily Mount. Then we, we lived not far from Daily Mount. You could get the bus outside our house and we'd all go to uh, Daily Mount, my dad, my uncle and myself, um, home and away. And it was just, just what we did, you know. And your connection with Daily Mount then obviously started early. And at a, at a later point, you were able to to become, you know, a director of the club and now you're COO, Chief Operating Officer. Just tell me about the early days with Bose. 
The, like from going, I suppose, like we're we're a, we're a fan owned football club and always have been, and that's that's a very rare thing now in, in football, increasingly so. Um, you know, you've had the massive privatization and commercialization of football to a level where there's state owners and things. And I, when I was uh, in college, I kind of volunteered. I, I liked marketing, and it was something I, you know, I thought I was okay at. So I kind of went down and spoke to the guy who was the marketing director at the time, a man called Donal, and. Uh, said, you know, do you need a hand? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So we were doing that t- together and there was other people helping as well. And he kind of said to me after a while, I think about a year or so, he said, look, I, you know, I was doing this because there was nobody else doing it, but you you kind of, you're studying it. Would you not think about joining the board? So um, I joined the board in 2011, I think late 2010, start of 2011. Um, would have been very young on the board. Like, you know, back then, I think a lot of board members would have been 20 years older than me at, at least. But um, the club was in a wasn't it a really was in a bad position at the time we were the club was balance sheet and solvent so I think uh, you know being elected to the board of Bohemians then uh, most people would have been run, running away from, from it to be fair yeah and and things have turned around so dramatically I mean I was I was just looking at some of the figures there for Bohemians you know in 2014 the they had a turnover of less than a million now it's four and a half million the merchandise sales in 2014 were under a hundred grand now approaching two million and the membership went from 400 or 450 to uh, just under three thousand I mean it's been a phenomenal turnaround hasn't it it really, it really has yeah to be uh, look it's been it's hard to imagine um you know would, would have been impossible to imagine back then uh, where we are now and I suppose it's taken it's taken 10 years and, and, a lot, and an awful lot of people putting in a huge effort. But to do that as a collective and a cooperative is something that's, uh, you know, I think it's excellent. I think it's, it's, it's great that that can exist in, in a game that has been commercialised to the extent it has. It wasn't always on the cards necessarily for you, Daniel, that, you know, that you would end up going into something like Bohemians. You studied uh, conflict resolution in college. Uh, at one stage, you worked for the Department of Foreign Affairs and at another stage, you 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 bought yourself a, a vehicle and decided to drive around Mongolia. <laughs> what was all that about? <laughs> um, I suppose I, when I finished, uh, I studied kind of uh, business and economics in DCU, and uh, I worked in pharmaceutical sales for a while. I just I found I found that um, it was well paid, and I didn't derive any uh, satisfaction from it at all. <laughs> to be honest, so I kind of had saved a bit of money. I was thinking about what I'd do, and. My mom was kind of saying, you should think about maybe getting a mortgage or something. And I decided to, to kind of buy a Land Rover and drive to Mongolia and back with a friend of mine. So we, Which is very close to getting a mortgage, isn't it? It's, <laughs> they're not totally dissimilar. Yeah, it was big enough. You, you could nearly live in it. it, had a, it we bought it off a guy in Scotland who was into bird watching. Uh, so he'd built a little pod on the back. And uh, we, we drove, drove to Mongolia and back. It was an amazing experience, obviously. And uh, coming back, I was thinking like had a small amount of money left. Like I was thinking I should probably do something that you're interested in rather than just uh, go and do something for a financial reason. So there's a, a master's in DCU called uh, International Conflict and Security, and you could study some legal modules with it. So I did that. It was a one-year full-time master's. So, so interesting, obviously, around at the time. It was the NATO action in Libya, and I did a master's on, on that. And then... Um, then look and you've into probably it. been to a lot of these places as well, which yeah, might have helped. in the previous six months. Yeah, and, uh, were there any sort of sticky, dangerous, hairy moments on that trip? You would have gone through a few fairly unpredictable countries. There was lots. Yeah, probably the three most interesting ones. We were arrested in Kazakhstan for no reason to get to, to bribe us and put into a kind of a cell. Um, and did you pay pay the money? We had to pay a little bit. They brought an interpreter from an oil company um, and she said, they don't know what I'm saying to you. You haven't done anything wrong. They're just trying to get some money from you. So you'll need to give them something. 
And she said, but look serious when I'm telling you this. So, so we had to do that. Uh, a Russian uh, military helicopter landed on, in front of us on a road in a place called the Altai Republic, uh, which is a semi-autonomous region near China. And uh, we had, we'd been told that bring a lot of whiskey, which it, it's good if you get bribed. So we had lots of little mini bottles of Jemison and we gave these soldiers some Jemison and they took off away again in their helicopter. <laughs> and uh, in Mongolia, we got stuck in a river, which is probably the most dangerous thing. We got stuck in a, in a river trying to cross it um, and we're stuck there for quite a long time. And it was a proper, it was a proper actually dangerous thing. Um, we didn't, you know, if we had got stuck there properly, you would have been in serious trouble. But uh, thankfully we came through them all. And you decided it was time to come home. Yeah, yeah, it's a long drive home now. Yeah, I can imagine. Talk about taking turns at the wheel. And so then you you you, you did the, the college course and you worked in the de- in the Department of Foreign Affairs you, and you even went to New York. Yeah, I went to New York as a political advisor for the UN General Assembly in 2013. It was the first time Palestine spoke with the UN as, a, as an observer state. Um, you know, you're in the room and you have all the heads of state from around the world. So it's a, it's a really amazing thing to experience. Um, but you decided it wasn't for you. I mean, you came back, a lot of people would have said, this is it, I've I've landed on my feet now, I'm going to stay here. Yeah, I think, looking back, I, I just, I think, and the Department of Foreign Affairs is a brilliant organisation, brilliant people, like really, really brilliant people. But I think the idea of being an assistant that is pretty hierarchical and it's about longevity and, like I said, slow moving, slow moving processes in diplomacy, I like kind of like things to happen quite quickly, um, so I just didn't see you know a twenty or thirty year, or forty year career and something like that being exciting really to be to be honest. So yeah, I decided to to come back and uh, and do something totally different. Um, came back and uh, yeah, opened Bang Bang with my sister in Fibsburg. And and Bang Bang is a, is a cafe in Fibsburg. You opened that. It's kind of it's a bit different because you you had this idea when you're in New York about cafes brilliant cafes sometimes being in, in residential areas rather than just in commercial shopping streets. Yeah, in Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn and um, what's, what, what I found kind of very interesting was you could walk around Brooklyn at night and you'd have no idea what any of the places were. They'd kind of have an, an, a kind of an unusual name or no signage at all or it could be down a laneway. I remember like visiting little bars that could be like down a lane, down a set of steps, in a door, through a tunnel type of thing. And, uh, and you realise that the places that one day low rent, but they were doing really interesting stuff, and they were good at they were good online, and you'd kind of want to find it. So I was kind of thinking, could you bring that concept to Dublin? And and thankfully it worked. It worked out. It, it might not have. I know the landlord was fairly sceptical when we told him what we were planning to do, but it's worked out. It's I think Bang Bang's open about eight or nine years now. The name Bang Bang associated with the the old Dublin character that you know many people who grew up in Dublin uh, a lot of years ago now might remember on the buses and and he was greatly influenced by western films and he used to jump around the bus saying bang bang i remember my own parents saying they remembered him but you named it after him and see, there was a question mark over sort of doing something in, in honor of him or in his memory yeah we named it after him just because so many places are open and they're, they're... They just have names that don't mean anything, you know. You lose that sense of place for an area, whether it's a new housing estate or a shop or whatever. It's just called, you know, kale or some nondescript thing. So um, Bang Bang, obviously, Thomas Dudley was his name, like an amazing character. He was actually um, raised in Norfolk in Cabra. He's buried in Clonturk, just beside Clonturk House in Drumcondra. When we opened and we put up a lot of Bang Bang things in the the shop, in the cafe, uh, people would come by to talk about him. I remember one one person came in to tell us this story that they uh, he it does, it's online as well. But he was on a back of a bus going down O'Connell Street, and he'd hang off the back of the bus firing at people, and uh, you know everyone would, would 
play along and, and guards would lean back and point their batons at him. But he fell off the bus as it turned the corner onto the road. Like imagine that today. And he looked up and said, carry on, I'm, I'm only wounded. And, uh, <laughs> and the bus went on. But uh, it, it's another kind of person coming in with a story like that came in and he said, I, bu- I buried him. I buried Bang Bang. I know where he's he's buried. And like literally he knew exactly where he was buried because he'd put a mark on the wall. So we went down with this man and he showed us where, where he buried him. Um, so we we did a little fundraiser and we got a gravestone for him and put a key on it rather than a cross and the Lord Mayor came down and um, Daryl Lynch from, from the band Lancome came down and sang the Mayor and um, we had a little event and a lot of a lot of elderly people came who remembered Bang Bang and I think his when he died he was he went blind and he, and he was kind of out of the public eye or you know people had kind of semi forgotten about him and I think his funeral there was a dozen people at it or something so it was great that a, a couple of hundred people showed up you know, 30 years later to remember him. So what about kneecap then? I mean, how how did the guy who, uh, you know, is involved in Bohemians Football Club, former diplomat in New York with the UN, runs a cafe in Fibsborough, end up then managing a hip-hop rap Asquelga band? <laughs> I just met him in Belfast at a pub. I was, I was visiting a friend of mine who was studying up there. He's a historian and he was bringing me around different pubs. We were having a pint in each pub talking about the history of Belfast. And uh, we were in this pub, Madden's Bar. We basically overheard some people speaking Irish. And I thought this was great, you know, because I didn't expect that in Belfast. You kind of might think that might happen in, in Guidor or it might happen maybe, out, you know, out in Connemara or something. But I didn't think it happened in Belfast. And my partner was with us and I said to her, like, what, she speaks Irish. I said, how do you how do you say that's a nice jacket in Irish? Your partner is uh, with the band Lankham. She's a singer and instrumentalist, Rady Pete. Yeah, yeah. So I said to Rady, uh, um, how do you say that's a nice jacket in Irish? And she said it and we just got chatting to them. Uh, we got chatting, we had a couple of points with them and they said they were coming to do a gig in Dublin in the Workman's Club next week. And it turned out they'd nowhere to stay. And I said, Look, why don't you just come down, stop at Bang Bang, get a bit of lunch and you can stay in our house. And... Um, that was it, really. And then at some point they said, uh, would you like to be our manager? Or did you say, I I think I could do a great job managing you guys? Um, no, it didn't really happen like that, funnily enough. They were just sort of, we'd been ch- we were just chatting and like that, I think, with the family with ideas off. I think I was just chatting to them and I was saying, what, what would you think about doing this or doing that? And they were sort of, in, about a month or two later, Nisha Mowgli Bap, I met him for a point in Fibsborough and, and he just said to me, look, would you think about maybe be, being our manager? You know, and I wasn't, wasn't something I was thinking of doing or anything, but the lads are, they're really, really interesting. They're really intelligent and and they're super nice people. So yeah, since we would and would see how, how it goes and it's not been that long. It's been a few years, COVID in the middle, but from where they were then to now, which is all down to them, is just, it's unbelievable. And I mean, and the Sundance, the, the film at Sundance, Michael Fassbender is in it. Yeah, Michael Fassbender how, plays. How, how did that come about? I think the, the director is a guy, Rich Pepia, and uh, Rich has a bit of a hard neck, which is which is great if you're making anything. And I, I think he sent he sent the script out to basically a list of people who he thought would be good in the, in the film, and and uh, he sent it to Michael Fassbender, and Fassbender got back and said, you know, I'll I'll do this, and he plays uh, Nisha Mowgli Bap's dad in the film, and he's a you know really strong character in it. Kneecap have attracted so much publicity they featured in the New York Times the LA Times Variety magazine but they're not without controversy I mean you know one of the guys his stage name is Provi uh, one of them is wearing a tricolour balaclava they're singing about Brits out they did a very controversial poster of a burning RUC Land Rover and it said Neil Falcher Rove on RUC so it's 
it's opening up the Irish language in a different way to a whole load of new people, but it might well be closing it off to a whole load of others as well. Um, I think I think controversy is subjective, actually. So I think, you know, especially in the North, people love to be outraged. And uh, any of the things you've mentioned there, you can interpret them in kind of two ways. So if we take the idea of DJ Provi, you know, I think I think it's quite satirical in terms of wearing a green, white and orange balaclava. The the mural uh, is obviously, it says, Neil Filter of an RUC, so it's looking back. But also, as the lads have said, I think, you know, I think Naomi Long came out, the Minister for Justice, saying that this was Stoke and sectarian tensions. And the lads' response to me is perfect. And they said, well, if you ask somebody on the other side of that wall uh, how they'd like to see an RUC jeep, they might, they might say the same thing. So they're... The lads are totally, obviously, non-sectarian. The song Get Your Brits Out is about a night out with the DUP. Um, the DUP have probably been the best marketing tool Kneecap's ever had because Kneecap just have to say anything and the DUP will, will jump on it. And there's a lot of satire and there's a lot of humour in what they're doing. But at the same time, I'm sure not everybody's laughing, particularly north of the border. I think most are. I think most young people. I think, uh, you know, the lads gave an interview recently where they went, they went over actually to see um, on the 12th. They went over to the Sandy Row. Nisha went over to to look at some of the the bands there. He had a friend coming who wanted to see it and a, a group of young loyalists sang one of their songs at him. Um, so I, I think it's a certain generation that like to be kind of outraged or like to point to to things and say, well, that's controversial. But I think, uh, you know, at their gigs, I think they get people from all sides of the community and they've said themselves before. So like, you know, the lads have, have said all of these things in interviews, but they've said that they have far more in common with somebody from the Shankill Road than somebody from South Belfast or Kalini. They're talking about really uh, having a system in Ireland that serves the working class far better than it does now. That would be their, their message far more so than anything about green or orange. So uh, has your Irish improved, Daniel? Um, sadly, look, I should have been given... I'd, I'd lo- I did have a plan a couple of years ago to learn Irish properly. I think it's definitely improved around the lads, but I'd lo- like it to be a lot better than where it There's is now. They're still able to talk about you. A hundred percent. Right in front of you and you don't know what they're saying. In Irish or English if they speak quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> and what about, what about the trip then to Sundance? I mean, I've seen uh, photographs from gigs that they've done and it all looks quite mad and quite crazy. And, you know, are, are, are you worried that whether they'll behave themselves or do you think they might go a bit mad? <laughs> no, no, of course they'll behave themselves. Not a, they're, uh, the gigs are... Um, the gigs are very, very high energy. I, like I've always went to a lot of gigs, love music, and, and an ECAP gig is, is more like a punk gig uh, than a hip-hop gig. Yeah, I've no, no, no concerns uh, about anything happening in America. <laughs> Thankfully, I think uh, it's important that they, they get US visas, so uh, we can't have anything too mad. You'll be there to make sure they go to bed early and <laughs> yeah, all <of> yeah. <laughs> What about business? I mean, it's it, when I when I'm talking to you about the different things you've done, would you see yourself as having a natural flair for business? Do you see yourself as a business person? I don't like the word business person, to be honest. Um, I, I always felt, and I don't mean this is like something too negative and, and not to like, you know, for it to stereotype people who are involved in business, but I felt studying business that business celebrates a lot of negative human traits that, you know, if you've, you've traits around the, you know, the accumulation of uh, resources or that it kind of just celebrates maybe the less desirable human qualities and, and there's things like business ethics, but they seem to be thrown onto courses um, as something that's, you know, good to have on the list of subjects rather than something that's really important. You seem to be very focused on the local and on community. I mean, even, for example, with Bohemians having built up the team, built up a women's team, uh, you've got an amputee team. And the club has also done work, for example, with, with Mount Joy Prison and prisoners there, which is in the locality and in the area. 
Yeah, so it's so important. Bo- Bose is, if you think of Bohemians, uh, like what's a strong football club? For most football clubs, a strong club is that they, they have a lot of money to spend on players. It, was, it obviously isn't Bose, but let's just take, you know, a Premier League club. And that money and the strength of that club will directly relate to the wealth of the owner. But because Bose is a cooperative model, the strength of Bohemians directly relates to the number of people who feel an emotional and a, a kind of a, an emotional connection to that entity. You know, if it can represent champion and highlight issues that people face, whether that's migrants, people in Mountjoy prison, people who are homeless, that's really important. And some people might think, what's that got to do with a football club? Well, it's got everything to do with a fan-owned football club because if I exist in Dublin 7 uh, and I face these issues and this football club is an ally and it champions these things and tries to assist in, in issues that we all face collectively, I think it's far more likely that you're willing to give back to that football club. Uh, and there'll be some people who don't think that's important at all and just want to see a team win on the pitch but it's been kind of a strange thing in the last six or eight months I was in Estonia in December uh, the Estonian FA asked would I go over and speak to their to their 20 professional clubs about Bohemians and uh, I think last summer I was at, over in the Netherlands at the invitation of the, the Dutch FA to speak to their Premier Division clubs and you obviously have clubs like Ajax and things there who it's kind of it seems a bit crazy that Bohemians are going over there to, to speak about what we do. But a lot of what we do, our, our work on climate with our, with our climate officer, Sean. and you, did, of, you didn't uh, you didn't drive the Land Rover to Estonia, no, for old time's sake. <laughs> I would have loved to, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what a, given that you're, you're so involved with Bohemians and Bang Bang Cafe, you run and own with your sister uh, and all of these other things you're doing, managing Kneecap, uh, a growing international band. Do you get stressed out about it all? How how do you um, how do you de-stress? Yeah, I do, I do a little. I think everyone gets a bit stressed. Um, I've started getting up very early in the morning. What's early? Yeah, I got up at six, so it's not too early. And uh, I've, I think I heard it on this show. You know, I started last year. I got uh, and this will sound very get mocked for this probably, but uh, I bought a, a kind of an ice bath off a fella in Cross McGlen. A guy up there built a wooden ice bath and dropped it down on a trailer. And uh, have it out the back, and uh, I get up at six and do the ice bath, and then go to work. Uh, this morning there was the cold, it was it was minus three this morning. It was ice on the outside of the ice bath this morning, um, and it's brilliant. Actually, so you were in this morning, no it, problem. In this morning, five minutes. I used to swim in the sea a lot, but it's, it that takes a long time to drive from Fibsworth to the forty foot and back. So uh, it's a similar thing, Le- less social obviously because it's just you in the garden. Less social and more pain. More pain, yeah. It gives you great clarity or something. For a few hours after an ice bath, you're very uh, tuned in or something. It's very, it gives you a lot of clarity. So um, a great thing to kind of forget about everything else because if you get into water that's cold enough, uh, you know, your, your you body do, has... You do forget about everything else. Aye, yeah, well, stay alive. Daniel Lambert, good luck uh, in Sundance and good luck with Bohemians and Bang Bang Cafe. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks a lot. Cheers.